Welcome to the Fight Lawyer Podcast, where we discuss combat sports and the law. I'm Dmitry Shaknovich, and today we sit down with an MMA legend, UFC Hall of Famer, and the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate you having me. Uh, for the people that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life growing up, how you got into the fight game? Sure. Um, I was born in Macon, Georgia, um, back in 1964. Um, I um, Early on, uh, didn't really have an upbringing, so I was on the street quite a bit, fighting in and out of trouble, then moved to Napa, California, where I continued my troubles, got in trouble fighting, ended up in juvenile hall at 10 years old for strong arm robbery. Got into a lot of different problems and situations, became a ward of the court. Those that don't know what the ward of the court is, which means that a probation officer and the judge became my parents. I was taken out of a home that wasn't much of a home um, and then put into what called group homes. I failed several group homes, ended up into the Shamrock Boys Home, um, where I started to get a proper upbringing and a proper understanding how life is supposed to live. I ended up being able to take my anger, vent it into sports, football, wrestling, things of that nature. Became an outstanding athlete. Because I was an athlete, um, I got all kinds of help um, to get my grades up. Then went on to college, played uh, football in college, um, got out of college, had an opportunity to go to Japan, do some pro wrestling, did some pro wrestling, did pretty good at pro wrestling. Um, same time, I saw some fight footage in the Pancras organization, decided I was going to do that. Six months later, I was uh, fighting over in Japan in front of 17,000 people. A year later, I was the champion of that organization. Um, and then um, soon after that, two and a half years into my career over in Japan, UFC came out, which was another step above, which was then was no holes barred. But back before what I was doing in Japan was MMA. So really the first uh, MMA group was over in Japan before the UFC turned from no holes barred into mixed martial arts. I then became uh, the champion also in the no holes barred era. Um, then from that point on, um, I just kept reaching for the stars, kept accomplishing more goals, got into the pro wrestling circuit with WWF, became tag team champion, and continental champion, rookie of the year, um, and the list goes on. So uh, I've had a pretty good experience in life of uh, knowing how to fall down and get back up again, um, faced a lot of different types of legal issues along the way. Um, which is what goes into being a professional athlete. That's quite a way to sum up probably over 30 years, probably close to 40 years <laughs> at this point in, in, in a yeah. minute. I, I didn't think you'd be able to do that. Now, <laughs> Thank you. You know, the Mayweather-McGregor numbers are coming out. They're anticipating about four or five million buys. Uh, McGregor, they, they said he's going to make over a hundred million. Uh, UFC 40, which was the first fight between you and Tito Ortiz, generated 100,000 pay-per-view buys. Unheard of. Uh, obviously, you were a huge star by that point. Tito was a huge star. What impact do you think guys like you, guys like Tito Ortiz, the, the big ones, you were around way before Tito was, what kind of impact do you think you have, you have on McGregor, generally speaking, pushing the sport to that forefront, to that mainstream population? Well, first of all, I want to make sure that, uh, that your um, information is correct. Um, everything up to the Tito thing was correct. Tito had also done a pay-per-view there and did 30,000 buys. Until I came into the picture, the most they ever did was somewhere between 30 to 50. I don't know the exact numbers, but that was it. They were dying. When I came back, in, back into the picture, we did over 100,000 buys. So if you look at my career along the way, and I think this is where most people, um, if, if they ever 
really look at the Ken Shamrock career. They will look to see over in Pancras, the numbers that I drew from Pancras. I branched out into the U.S. from, Pan- from the Japanese organization all the way to the U.S., um, broke record numbers while I was a champion over in Pancrase, rose the numbers up to incredible, incredible numbers they never did before in that mixed martial arts era. Then came back to the UFC, drew numbers with Hoist Gracie, drew numbers with uh, um, Dan Severn, um, drew numbers with Kim- Kimbo or Kimo. Um, so if you look, and then going into, into the pro wrestling, changing the, the di- dynamics of pro wrestling, Going from hard this 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 fake stuff into entertainment stuff into more the attitude era. Um, a lot of the guys helped with that, but if you really look at it, then come back after taking all that time off, coming back and and getting in the ring and breaking the numbers again, going in and fighting Tito again, breaking record numbers on TV with uh, the Ultimate Fighter show with me and Tito. Then he that goes away, and then I go into um, uh, Glad or the uh, Bellator, and I still have two of the top-rated pay-per-view buy rates, which is Kimbo's Life and Hoist Gracie. The common denominator through all of that generation, if you watch Hoist, if you watch Tito, if you watch all those other guys that did things on their own, nobody, nobody has done the numbers that I have done with different opponents all along the way in the generation of Noel's Barter Mixed Martial Arts. The first time I started watching it, I was a kid when, when the UFC was in its you know infant stages. The first time I ever heard about it was UFC 40. I mean, I never heard about... you. I, I heard of Ultimate Fighting, of No Holds Barred, you see some stuff on TV. But guys like me, I've never heard of it until you came back. I guess at that point, you, you know, you had... Obviously, your name value was, was... You were the biggest star in the company, I think, by far. And that's when people like me really started watching, you know, really started getting into it. And I, and I followed it because of that. And I, I think most people are like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. And, and uh, one day, you know, maybe not when I'm alive, but, but one day someone will do a, 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 a real um, deep investigation on the impact of the player's um, during the inception and also during the, 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 the times where it was going down and back up again. And you'll see that my name is definitely going to be the one that stands out above all because I saved so many companies, um, you know, along with Pancreas. I brought them up to it. UFC, I brought their numbers up. Then when they are dying, I came back and did it again. Um, so twice with the UFC and then Bellator, they were dying. Um, you know, Scott Coker came in and then I came in and did – two fights that really jumped up their, their, buy, their, their rates up on TV. Um, so, you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it, for me, I just want the, 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 the um, information that goes out to be correct. Why do you think you have that mainstream appeal? I mean, why do you think there have been a lot of guys that have done wrestling, that have done MMA? For some reason, you have your name value carries on beyond most. I mean, if you, you know, bump into a guy in the street and you say, hey, you know who Ken Shamrock is, he'll know that. If you ask him, even if you know who Tito Ortiz is, and Tito's a big name. But even if you ask, you know, if you know Tito Ortiz, do you know even Hoyce Gracie, your name seems to kind of stick out. Why do you think that is? Well, I think a lot of it has to do is that I'm, I'm interacting um, constantly with the mainstream audience, constantly interacting on different types of venues and things um, that I'm capable of going out and doing. 
um, getting to know the fans more. I travel around and I do a lot of meet and greets. I really believe that that, you know, within a 20 to 20, 30 year, you know, uh, time that, that, yeah, your name is going to resonate and constantly keep going out because one, you're putting in the work and two, you're appreciating the fans. Another guy that was supposed to be this huge star, John Jones, and is a huge star. What do you think about all this stuff that he's going through? Will the sport be clean? Do you think it kind of illegitimizes it on some level? Well, I think, I think that what, what, what bothers, I think, most fighters is the fact is, is that when they go in, they, don't, they really don't know if their opponent is clean. Um, because it's just... Because of the way that they, they do the testing, it's, it's not constant. And then when it is constant, people find ways to get around it. And, um, and so it just, it's, to me, it's sick because it's been a part of the sports since, you know, who can ever remember? You know, you go back into the Olympic days and there was always people taking substances that were natural substances, but they did the same thing. If they got caught, then their name got put on the stone, and then their families were banned, and they were disgraced, and and they were put up on the statue, but in the in the where they were disgraced. And this is in the old Olympic days, man. And so it's it's a constant, um, it's a constant grind because people are always trying to strive to be more, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem that I see happening here is that it's been around forever. They've allowed it in, you know, back in baseball and basketball and football and you name all the sports tracks, everything, golf even. Um, and, it's, and it's grown. And just recently in the nat last 20 years, they've said, well, we're going to get strict on it. And because of all the, the medical and the, the ways of being able to hide things, it's impossible to try to, to catch everything. And so it's, it's, for me, it's like since it's already had, uh, had grown to be this big thing now, and it's not, in my opinion – um, if it's done properly under doctor's care, it's not unhealthy. And, and uh, unlike what most people think, it's ridiculous to think that these people think that this is a bad thing when it was created for health. So to me, they're ignorant. Um, but if it's done properly, it helps you recover and it helps you to have a longer and a healthier career. And even when you're done doing what you're doing, it helps you stay healthy and stronger, even in your later years after you retired because of the injuries and all the things that you've got going on, it helps support that while being able to still train and stay healthy. Um, so for me, it's, it's about regulating it. It's about bringing it in, knowing it's there, knowing that if it's done right, it isn't harmful. And if that's the case, it protects the athletes as they are all moving forward in their careers and being able to stay healthy, allow that to happen allow them to be under a doctor's care and that they have to be and they just like they test now they test levels right they test to see if there's certain levels that have gone up in your body well you could do the same thing if it is in your body you test the levels to see how how much is in there making sure that they're not going past the the point of being unhealthy making sure that they're under a doctor's care but the doctor's responsible for what's going into their body that way you're you're not you're not hurting these athletes now what's happening these athletes are going oh yeah well I'm gonna, I can't go to a doctor because then the doctor has to disclose that they, they treated me. Um, so now I'm going to go into a black market to a bodybuilder who doesn't know his butt from a hole in the ground and gives him all kinds of stupid things that doesn't belong in his body. He goes out there and he ends up having a heart attack. So to me, you're almost making the problem worse instead of saying, okay, we're going to embrace it, but we're going to protect them. We're going to get them under care, doctor's care, so that it is being useful the way it's supposed to be used. 
Now, there are some people that say, look, this is the kind of sport where it isn't baseball, it isn't football, it, you know, it, it's the hurt game. You're punching somebody in the face, you're trying to essentially, uh, you know, separate them from their senses. In that context, everybody's saying, well, it has to be regulated to the point where nobody's using it. I know the UFC's brought in some, some agencies now to kind of regulate that. If it's never going to be taken out of the sport completely, which is what it seems like, I don't ever see never seeing a failed drug test. Well, and that to me doesn't make sense because we there's this, um, when someone says steroids, which was an ignorant term, everybody uses steroids because it's a stupid term. It, they're, they're hormone replacements. They replace your hormones. They help your body recover quicker. Um, you know, you look at these athletes and then they're, you know, year round, they're doing these things to their body. And then when they're done, it's not like they're off anymore. They got to continue to keep training. So it's a year round process and it, it takes a toll on your body. And so you got to be able to, in my opinion, you got to be able to be, get your body and stay healthy and have something to help you recover quicker so that you're able to continue to keep doing what you want to do what the fans want you to do. Here's, here's what the biggest, um, um, uh, what I want to say, um, ignorance of what people want, that people say that, oh, I don't want that in there. And they're, and they're literally ignorant to the fact that what they're used to seeing in sports isn't natural. It is not natural. So you see guys hitting three-point jump shots. Did they do that 20 years ago, 30 years ago? being able to hit 17 threes or 10 threes or 12 threes. No, why? Because at halftime, their legs were shot when they shot five of them and they're playing a whole game. So they get tired. Now with the training and the, the recovery that they get, now they're able to be able to hit those jump shots, stay fresh, keep driving to the hoop, keep hitting banging threes down there all game long, breaking all kinds of records. Uh, football players weighing over 320 pounds, 300 pounds. Back in the in the seventies and eighties, you were lucky if you had one guy on the line, defensive line or offensive line, that weighed plus three hundred pounds, because they couldn't move well. So now you've got everybody across the line in the NFL. They're all three hundred plus, and they're running five flat, five fours. So to me, it's an, it, it's 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 incredible to see the ignorance of what people want, because if they literally get what they want, we're going to go back now to college days in the NFL. That's what it's going to be like. Division, division three, division four, college. Now you'll have some guys that are standouts, no question. There's some guys out there that are just naturally gifted, and, and they're going to do well no matter what. But you're talking one percent. So what you're seeing now in basketball and hockey and baseball, home runs, baseball players throwing over 100 miles an hour, uh, hitters being able to bang them out of the park, all these things that we used to seeing that make sports exciting today. Why it's so big why the NFL is so huge is because what the players are capable of doing. So if you go out there and say, oh, I want it cleaned up, don't think that that's not an ignorant statement if you love what you're seeing today because it won't be there if they legitimately do that. And it's such a shame. I mean, look, forget about John Jones. He's one of these guys, you know, he made a lot of money. There are guys that aren't allowed to compete for years, a year, two years. How are they supposed to make money? How are they supposed to, I mean, you know, there are a handful at this point in the UFC that make enough to, 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 to live a good, healthy life. Other than that, how are these guys supposed to, you know, feed their families? They're essentially taken out of the sport. Obviously, they can't fight. How are they supposed to make a living? Well, again, like I say, it's ignorance. I mean, everybody thinks they're driving for a goal and everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon because they think it's a good thing. 
But what they don't understand is, is that it's their ignorance to it is it's not about cleaning the sport up. It's about regulating the sport, making sure that guys are staying safe, making sure that they're not putting so much into their body or putting the wrong thing in their body because they don't know what they're doing, but they can't go under a doctor's care. So, and even with the commission and everybody along the way, they're all jumping on the bandwagon and they don't have a clue about what it is they're doing. They're basically going, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. And, you know I mean? And it's like, no, it's not. It's bad if it's abused, just like with anything. And so to me, there's so much ignorance that runs through our sport and the people that are supposed to be smart enough to understand what's going on. They're all on the same bandwagon because somebody said something. If you look at and you talk to a doctor, 50% of the doctor is going to tell you it's bad. 50% of them are going to tell you it's good. Do you know what that means? That means it's somewhere in the middle. That means it's, if it's regulated, it's good. That means if it's uh, controlled, it's good. So to me, it's just about the ignorance of what people don't understand. And I wonder how much having an, an MMA union would help here. Somewhere the fighters could turn for legal help, for anything, really, for any kind of support. Most of these guys are on their own when this kind of stuff happens. I know there have been some efforts. I think Bjorn Rebney's tried to start some sort of union. There are some fighters that jumped on board and then it kind of fizzled away. Why can't MMA fighters, like most other mainstream sports, and it is a mainstream sport at this point, why can't an, a union be organized, one that's effective, one that's useful, and one that can really help the fighters? Well, I think, first of all, it's not like um, the NFL or you know, any of these other, where there's a, there's, you know, everybody's kind of protected because they were under contracts. Um, what happens now is, is that if one of these big fights, the fighters go up and say, you know, I'm going to jump on this, this union, they won't use them. And so now where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? There's no competition. So it's not like in the NFL, there's a collaborated group of people. And well, in UFC, there's probably one or two guys that matter. So how do you get them on board when the UFC will just basically push them aside and bring somebody else up? So you're talking about hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars that may go to wayside because someone goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help these guys out. I'm going to jump on the union. And so that's where the problem lies is that they don't have anywhere else to go to make money. So what are they going to do? I don't blame them. I mean, I would have a hard time going, I'm going to jump on this union and, and throw away my million dollar payday. That, that would be tough. But isn't it in the interest, I mean, you see with the NFL, and I know it's a bit different, but you see with the NFL, with the, all these CTE lawsuits and all these things, parents aren't letting their kids play football anymore. Aren't these organizations hurting themselves long term? You know, because people aren't going to want to do it. People aren't going to want to do it. If, 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 eventually, the fighters are going to realize that unless you're a handful of guys, it's tough to make a living, especially because uh, of the way the organizations are structured. The contracts can be cut at any time. The fighters can go elsewhere to look for sources of income. Now the sponsorships are being limited. You know, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, it's already happening. That's why you don't see a lot of heavyweight fights anymore. You don't see big fighters in there anymore. You don't see a lot of talent down the board anymore. And that's why you've seen, um, you know, the Fertitta sold it. And you look where it's at right now. You don't have a whole lot of guys that are, you got McGregor, right? And he's a lightweight fighter. And so you don't have a whole lot of talent out there that people are dying to see. Um, and a lot of that has to do is I think people are now wising up and going, you know, that's a lot of work to get somewhere and then and not make any money. And I say it all the time. I say, if a guy makes it on a pay-per-view event, even if he's opening up the card, that should signify that this guy made it. He's on this pay-per-view event. 
And whether he's opening up the card or whether he's in a semi-main event, he's got to make some money because he made it. And you're thinking that because he's on this pay-per-view event, that now you're going to, whoever wins that fight is going to move, move up and he's going to get an opportunity to fight for a bigger fight each time. But what's happening is these guys get on there and they're making 25000 50000 If they're lucky, 100000 on, on the underneath card. And so to me, people are looking at that and it's like, why would you put yourself through three, four, five years of, of trying to get to that point and then when you finally make it, you don't make it. People don't understand. Those figures that you see, those are prior to you paying your trainers, you paying all your expenses. Generally speaking, how much does a fighter actually take home from that that he can feed his kids with? Yeah, I would say probably 30%. If he, and if he cuts corners, maybe 40 to 50% if he's really tight with the money. But then you're, you're really, you're really um, hurting yourself on your, your training. But yeah, I would say you probably get about 30%. Um, at least uh, for me, that's about what it was. Um, because I had a lot of trainers and, and food and cooks and just different things of like that. That because it's when you get that that next level, everything counts. And so yeah, it's it's not what people think when you're actually out there making that kind of money. Because if you look right off the bat, okay, so I say thirty percent. You're going, man, that's that's that's, that's that's wow, that's a lot of percentage going to your your fighters and your company and all that. And you're, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the taxes along with it. So you look at it, taxes are gone right off the top, man. You're losing a big chunk of your money. And then the rest of it gets pieced out to your trainers and, and your sparring partners and food and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So it, it is about 30%. And it's crazy when people look, well, we got made 100000 made 250000 No, we didn't. But what's Bellator doing different? I see a lot of these guys going to Bellator now, some in the primes of their careers, young guys. What are they doing different? They must be doing something. They're obviously not as big as the UFC. They're not as popular. They must be doing something. What are they doing? Well, at the, at the when I just talked to you about the opening card, uh, guys fighting um, on, a, on a pay-per-view or a TV event, they're getting paid more money at the, at the, at the lower levels. But, you know, you're talking about main event. Obviously, they're not making that, but you're only talking, you know, you know, five, five percent of, of the guys in the UFC are fighting main event. Right. So the rest of the guys underneath that are all going to go to the Bellator because all down the board, excluding the main event down the board, Bellator pays better. I see. I see. Now, here's the real question. When are you fighting Hoyce Gracie again? Well, Hoyce Gracie, it's not about when I'll fight him. Hoyce Gracie won't fight me. Why do you think he won't fight you? That third fight, that, that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't as compelling as many thought it would be. He well, low blowed you and, you know, fight kind he of knew, He knew the reason why he did that and the reason why any fighter does something like that on purpose is because they know they're going to lose. And I knew he was going to lose. I knew. We had a game plan, cut the ring off, let him slow down. As soon as he slowed down, we'll, get in, we'll start getting into him. Well, that's exactly what happened. Cut the ring off. I didn't go after him. He's throwing all kinds of stuff. Then he clenched with me. He tried to grab me. He thought we would go to the ground. I, I hit him with the knee, and I went to go throw another punch. And he knew at that point in time that he wasn't going to be able to turn this on the ground, and that I was gonna have to, he's going to have to stand up. He's going to have to fight with me because he couldn't take me down. And he knew that his ass was going to get knocked out. And so instead of him fighting like a warrior and standing up and, and doing everything he can to try to win a fight, he found the easiest way out. And he thought he was just going to get DQ'd. Because when he threw it, he threw it, and he didn't have any intention of whether or not he was going to get caught or not. 
He just wanted to be DQ'd. He wanted to be out of there. And instead, the referee doesn't see it, and he gets awarded the win. Um, to me, it's sick. How different was it than fighting him all those years ago? He doesn't seem like an athletic guy. Well, the first time I fought him, you know, I mean, it was the gee thing that really caught me off guard. Um, I just didn't really have an understanding of it. Um, because any human being that tries to choke me, I just pull their arms off. I mean, I'm that strong. I'm a strong guy. And so I knew going in there that I would just destroy him. Well, he caught me with the gi. And of course, they took my shoes away, which really made it difficult for me to be able to move around on the mat. But, uh, and then we go um, to the second fight. I, you know, I was ready for a three-hour fight. In fact, is we were just going to wear his ass out, sit, sit in his guard, ground and pound him, follow the hips, and just beat the hell out of him until he basically couldn't go any longer. And until they, and then they put the time limit, obviously. But uh, if we would have followed up on that and there wasn't a time limit, he wouldn't have made it out of that fight because you see him, they had to carry him out even after 36 minutes. And then so we go to do it again, and he, <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, it's literally, to me, so disgusting that it ended like that because I knew what he did, and he knows what he did. We're professional fighters. We don't throw in me and not know where it's going to land. Um, so it's, it's ignorant to think that people would even assume it was an accident because it's not. We're too good for that. It wasn't like I was moving around. I was standing right there with him. So when he landed that thing, I knew exactly what he did. He was trying, he was getting out of there. He knew he was going to get his ass whipped. And so he threw that knee so he could get out of there. Do you think he gets too much credit, that family gets too much credit for the impact they've had in terms of, I, I, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu is obviously huge. They, they say that they created the ground game. Do you think that they get more credit? Because I know people have been saying, well, by the time you know the UFC got just a little bit more popular, the Gracies were already obsolete. Do you think they got way too much credit for developing what the UFC is today? No, I don't. I think they, you know, hey, listen, you got to give credit what credit's due. I mean, Orion Gracie came in and And uh, Art Davies, um, Art Davies came up with the idea. And he contacted um, Orion, and they put all that together. And then they contacted Bob Meyerowitz, SEG. Bob Meyerowitz bought it from him, and then they jumped on the bed and just took off with it. But but you got to give credit where credit's due. Orion Gracie brought in Hoist Gracie, who looked like, you know, he didn't lift a weight in his life. He was unathletic, uh, 180 pounds, and he went and beat everybody. Um, and so it woke people up to like, wow, you know, man, size doesn't matter. And so to me, they deserve all the, all the credit in the world. The only thing that, that, um, it, it pains me and it, it, it hurts me to think that these guys had done something that good, but yet they've done things, you know, especially hoist, um, to discredit themselves and their, and, and, and their honor. I mean, the stuff that they did with Uh, setting fights up and, and putting time limits in and, and taking shoes away and, and all these things to try to, to, to give voice the edge. Um, they didn't need to do that. I just don't understand their style itself and the things that they were doing at that point would have been enough for them. I mean, they could have got so much more respect. Instead, people looked at them and yeah, they give them the respect they do because they brought it in and they started this whole thing. But then they also look at it on the flip side and just they, they know they're cheaters. Now, are you still active? Are you still looking for fights? Are you? I know you've said in interviews in the past that obviously you're not going to go fight any 
you know, John Jones or anything. Uh, how active are you and how do you anticipate how many times a year or if you do, how, how often do you anticipate fighting into the future? Well, I don't, um, you know, I think after this last, my last two fights, um, you know, especially with the, the, the chemo where Kimbo and, uh, you know, they missed the cap, you know, I choked him. I did everything I was supposed to do. I'm not a young buck. You know, I go in there and I put everything into trying to win a fight. And then, you know, I can't, it's hard for me to bounce back when, when somebody makes a mistake, you know, I mean, and then I go into a hoist and then another one. And so, you know, for me, it's just, it, it really um, took away the steam that I had and, you know, the, the desire for me to go out there and keep doing it because I felt like the, the sport was getting sloppy and people weren't um, really respecting the sport the way they should. They weren't doing their jobs the way they should. And, uh, and I just felt like I just wasn't want to be a part of something that, you know, that didn't respect what I love. And so I walked away from it. Um, and unless Hoist Gracie comes out and tries to do what's right, I won't fight again. There are so many crazy people saying that fight was fixed, that fight was planned. How ridiculous is that for a guy like you who gave your whole life to this? What's what interest? Well, that's 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 why I say that I had to. I just I feel so betrayed by something, you know, like something that I loved and something I helped create. I felt so betrayed because I did everything I wanted to do in that fight. I took him down. I knew I took his back like I knew I would. I choked him. He tapped. I eased up on the choke. He put his chin down. Nobody stepped in and stopped the fight. And I even leaned over to look at him because I thought he was unconscious, which he was. He told, said that in a press conference. I leaned over to look, and then he kind of came to and kind of popped up. I rolled off his back you know, because he popped up, thinking that the fight was over. Well, nobody steps in, and I get caught with a punch. And so the whole time, I'm thinking, you know, he tapped. Well, you know, but but... So, you know, that's the stuff that just, it irritates me. And uh, I felt betrayed, you know, in, in, in a lot of sense, because I went in there and did my job. Um, and then, you know, people like the commission and the referees, were, fighters are held to such a high standard and that when they do something wrong, there's always consequences. But whenever a referee misses a call or, or, or the commission uh, has to view a low blow or something like that. If they don't want to do it again or to make a decision on it, they just basically sweep it under the rug and say, it doesn't matter. Uh, it is what it is. We said, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, and nobody, and they're not held accountable for their mistakes. And so to me, I, I just, I felt like I felt betrayed. I felt like here are the fighters who are held at such a high standard and that we're always punished for things that we do wrong but yet there's referees and judges and, and commissions that are not held responsible for what they do wrong. Well, you know, you're a guy that, if not for you, guys from my generation would not be interested in this sport. You're the guy who put it to the forefront. You're the guy who continues to be the most well one of the most well-recognized figures in the sport. Well, I appreciate that. And it's been so great of you to join us. Before we wrap up here, uh, where do people go if they want to learn more about you, about your events coming up, any future fights if there are any? Uh, where could they go to find out some more about you? Yeah, you can go to my website, kinshamrock.com. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff on there. I, I'm doing a lot of ministry stuff. I do motivational speaking. We also got a bunch of business stuff that we're involved with. So everything that I'm doing, we have on our website. Also, too, there's an Easter egg a little small Easter egg on there. You have to find that. And if you do, it goes onto my private page. So 
you can kind of go in there and see things that not everybody can see. Understood. Look for the Easter egg. <laughs> understood, understood. Ken, thank you so, so much once again. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And that's our interview with Ken Shamrock. Hope you guys had a good time. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Dmitry Shaknovich. If you want to learn more about me, please visit www.dshacklaw.com. And this is the Fight Lawyer Podcast. Till next time, folks.